I greet you all in the name of Jesus. And while we remember Brother Irvin this morning and worship Christ here in this fellowship hall, Irvin is worshiping Jesus right in the presence of Jesus with a joy we can only imagine. But we can look forward to it. And in times like this, we're especially thankful for God and God's comforting presence. His presence is comforting because he loves us. And because he is strong, he can help us. He can fix things. And he can bring healing. John 11 tells us about a family in Bethany that Jesus loved, Lazarus and Martha and Mary. When Lazarus died, Jesus came to that community, to that home. Jesus cared. Jesus cried. The Jews noticed, and they said, see how he loves how he loved Lazarus. And Jesus comforted that family with his love and his presence. And he also comforted them through his promises. Jesus said to them, your brother shall rise again. And Jesus loves the Irvin Swarry family. God is here. God's promises are absolutely true and certain for this family. Irvin's passing on Wednesday morning shocked all of us. And as the news spread rapidly through the community, I heard words like stunning. This is terrible. Our Irvin? Unbelievable. This wasn't a 92-year-old man at the end of a long life. Irvin was only 62. His sudden death was almost more than we could wrap our minds around and how much more so for this family. And with the grief came reflection and remembering Irvin. Many memories have already been shared here. One of my earliest impressions of Irvin was formed during another time of great family grief before any of you children were here. Urban and Sharon had only been married for two months when Sharon's mother, Gwen, died in an automobile accident in September of 1976. I remember it well yet, as does Grandfather Ray. It was a shock and a great and sudden grief, and I remember young Irvin
being deeply moved, but steady and calm and unshaken. It's already been mentioned how friendly Irvin was. And Irvin care is his care for souls. He wasn't a street preacher, but I know, I know that he quietly invested time with people that he had a burden for, souls he had a burden for. And it was also mentioned what a helper he was, what a servant he was always with an eye for how he could help. And one thing that impressed me a lot, one role, was his service as a church funeral director. And that's what he was doing at my dad's funeral just last Saturday. And I thanked him afterwards. He had such a good touch in that role, calmly, quietly, getting the right things done at the right time, setting up for the visitation, checking that the family was comfortable, bringing us water, then getting the family organized and seated at the funeral service, guiding the pallbearers, directing and helping with chores at the graveside. He just had a special touch with that. He was a servant of Christ, and we miss this good man. We love this good man. Life has many disappointments and heartaches. Some disappointments are gotten over in a day or two. Others are more grievous and troubling but can often be recovered from without great loss, like recuperating from a serious disease or rebuilding after a fire. But other disappointments are on a different scale, like a devastating earthquake with losses so great and of such an impact that life will never be the same. And this is that kind of event. God gives comfort, God gives healing over time, but life will never be the same. And when such things happen, pretending all is well doesn't change reality. What's happened can't be ignored or avoided. It's real and it's grievous. And in those times, we need to hold to the one, the one thing that will not, that cannot change. Our Heavenly Father. For a scripture passage, I'd like to notice 1 John 3, the first several verses. And my prayer is that we'll find comfort and encouragement here. 1 John 3 beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. 
Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We're first impressed from this passage with the love of the Father, the God who loves man. What if God did not love us? What kind of God would God be if he were all-powerful, all-knowing, but did not love? How dark and hopeless life would be. Think with me. There would be no mercy or forgiveness, no salvation, only justice, wrath, eternal damnation. No John 3.16, for God so loved the world. There would be no assurance of his presence, no scripture saying, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There would be no strength for trials, no promise, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. No power for spiritual victory, no verse saying, for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We could have no confidence in his sovereignty, for there would be no scripture saying, all things work together for good to them that love God. There would be no heavenly care or kindness, no psalm saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There wouldn't be any prayer, for there would be no listening sympathetic ear in heaven, no promise, ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find. There would be no compassionate invitation saying, come unto me and I will give you rest. No fellowship, no belonging to God, no family of God, no promise, I will receive you and be a father unto you. No promise of heaven, no words of Jesus saying, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. How utterly black life would be if God were not love. If he was only a God extremely strong and knew everything, but was not love. And his gaze upon man would only be cold and stern. But that is not our Heavenly Father. God's Word says, Behold, look at God's love. See how incredible this love is that God has granted us. And He showed it to us by sending us His Son. For God so loved the world that He, that he gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And those who have responded to God's love through his dear son, who have answered the call, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, those who receive him and gladly surrender and devote their lives to him, they are the sons of God. But as many as received him, he said in John 1:12, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Because God is not only sovereign, all-powerful, and all-knowing, a God of boundless love, his promises to us in him are yea, and in him, amen. Our text also addresses the present life of God's children, those who love God. From the first, from the last part of verse one, therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. When Jesus came, the world didn't recognize him for who he was. They didn't know the Son of God, didn't recognize him, didn't acknowledge him. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Likewise, the world doesn't really know us, the children of God. It doesn't understand who we are and what we have. They don't understand the spiritual relationship that God's children have with their heavenly Father. They don't understand forgiveness and peace and a new life and hope for the future. The children of God have spiritual life. Those of the world do not. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So the children of God are part of an unseen but very real spiritual kingdom. Even while we walk and work on the earth among the sons of the earth who are under the sway of the evil one, who do not understand. They may watch Christians and be indifferent or scornful or curious. And sometimes they seek to discover the secret of the kingdom. We also notice in verse 3 that the sons of God purify themselves. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Or as John wrote in the chapter before, in verse 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought, also, ought himself also so to walk even as he, Jesus, walked. God's children obey, follow God's word. 1 Peter 1.22 Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Purifying ourselves, obeying the truth through the Spirit. Purifying ourselves is not just 
finding forgiveness through the mercies of God, which are new every morning. We need that. But it is also our lives changing as God's Spirit reigns in our hearts and we follow God's way, a response to God's great love. Verse 2 speaks to the future of the sons of God, the children of God, who love God. Because of God's love, we have a blessed hope and future. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Christ is coming again for his children, for his sons and daughters. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's going to happen. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's going to happen. Our bodies will be changed. Our location will be changed. Our circumstances will be changed. Our spiritual condition will be changed and all for the better. It hasn't been revealed to us what all that will be, but we know that when it happens, it will be very much better. We shall be like him, Christ-likeness to a new degree. As for me, the psalmist said, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And that will be the best of all, the reality of being in the very presence of Jesus, our Redeemer. So for the faithful children of God, there is the certain promise of a glorious future and glorious reunions, something to live, to long for, to live for, and to be watchful and ready for. And that hope is as certain and sure as this day. But it's in the future, and we don't know how long. In the meantime, there are difficult days ahead. Grieving isn't done in a week. There will be many sharp reminders, familiar shoes, the Bible on the stand that was referred to, his chair, a truck driving by, the empty place at family gatherings. But the Irvin Swarry family is not without resources. They have each other. 
They care about each other. I've been impressed with that these days. They're supporting each other. I love the way they love their mom and care for her. That blesses me. This family is pulling together. Ben said, we're going to make it. Dad would want us to make it. And they have God's people, church and friends who care. The pages and pages of names back there in that registry. This crowd, I don't know if we've ever had a crowd this size in this fellowship hall. All attest to the fact that Irvin was loved. This family is loved. But most importantly, this family has God. There's the firm promise that God is with you now. In this present time, in this great grief, and His grace is available for the present time and for every need. God is with us in sorrow as Jesus was with Mary and Martha of Bethany. Jesus loved and comforted them by His presence. He comforted them with His promises. Jesus can fix things. He can bring healing. Your brother will rise again. Our brother will rise again. There will be comfort for this family because Jesus loves you. God loves you. God loves all of us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. May God bless you, family.